Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 9 Injury Report Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely Friday afternoon, PFF analyst Nick Botiford. Nick, we were 8 for 9. The only week we missed it was my fault. Here we are, man. We're back. Great day. be great. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you? Fantastic. Going through the injury report, which you can always find on PFF.com with my analysis and our injury expert himself, Mario Pilato's actual, you know, medical professional notes going into that. But Nick and I are also going to talk about each and every fantasy relevant here. Looking ahead to week nine, also going to some prop bets and some DFS stuff at the end. So with that, guys, let's get into it. Appreciate the YouTube comment gang always tuning in with us. You guys got, you know, particular start sick questions, anything we can help with. Not guaranteeing I'm going to stop the entire train of thought an entire episode plan to go get to each and every question but certainly a good chance for us to get to some of them especially if they're relevant so with that guys let's get into it just two small things at quarterback first of all Aaron Rodgers continues to be fine despite being listed with that right thumb injury it does make you wonder like just how much it is impacting him for example in week seven against the commanders they did that long lateral play at the end instead of having maybe the best guy to ever throw a Hail Mary in the history of the NFL actually go back there and toss it up so I do wonder you know, if Rodgers, his total uh, deep ball is, you know, maybe shorter by 10 yards with this injury, but clearly not something that is prohibiting him from getting out there on the field. The bigger question is Ryan Tannehill, officially questionable. Now, Nick, last week he didn't even practice on Friday. So the fact he did get back out there, get a limited session in on Friday, it does make me think he has a chance to suit up Sunday night in Arrowhead. Of course, I mean, come on, Titans and Arrowhead. I think they're freaking 12 and a half point dogs or something at this point. Chiefs are getting up there. And even if it's Tannehill or Malik Willis, we're not interested in anybody involved in this passing game. Do you have any sort of lean on if Tannehill could get back this week? Because they clearly did not trust anything that Malik Willis was bringing to the table in week eight. No, and uh, we don't know. Like, they still haven't told us what the severity of the ankle injury is. Like, is it a high ankle sprain or, you know, eversion or whatever? Uh, so no, we we don't know, and and given the the um, late nature of the kickoff, I, Henry's the only guy you can bank on. That's the other thing. Like, unless you're just in true quarterback hell, like Malik Willis, he's someone that after last week, they they showed no faith in him throwing the ball. And even running the ball, we weren't getting as many design looks as we would have hoped for with this. So I have Malik Willis, QB 21, even in a week where there's six teams on by. So honestly, like if you are in quarterback hell with by Armageddon going on, I would say even Andy Dalton going Monday Night Football is going to be a better option for you than Malik Willis. Because again, with that Sunday night spot, uh, spot start, you cannot get behind 
this offense other than Derrick Henry, of course, who we fire up each and every week. That's it at quarterback. Got to feel good about that. So moving on to running back, big one of the week is Jonathan Taylor out with an ankle injury, even getting the week-to-week label from Frank Reich afterwards. So not good. And we did get Frank Reich actually telling us, though, that this is a week for Deion Jackson to be the guy. They are not trusting Zach Moss just yet. And even before Moss was in the picture, we did get the two games without Taylor and without Naeem Hines. The first one, Hines got to start, but he quickly got concussed. And in those two games, Deion Jackson, 58% snaps, 67% snaps, 39 combined carries and targets. So, Nick, I get it. It's the Patriots. But I don't think we can do like the Bill Belichick shuts down the number one weapon on like every level of the offense. Can we pick one already? Because it's not like that running backs have just been completely ruled irrelevant against this defense. The Patriots do rank 23rd in PPR points per game allowed to opposing running backs. So I get it. I'm not sitting here saying Deion Jackson's a top five, top 10 running back play this week. But looking at it, Nick, I think I'm going to have him about RB 16. And I think that's a pretty reasonable spot for him. Bad matchup be damned. Yep, totally agree. He's a he's a locked in running back too. I think his performances made uh, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich feel a lot more comfortable with the idea of letting Naheem Hines go. It is slightly different having, you know, Sam Ellinger under center instead of Matt Ryan. I'm not expecting the same level of checkdowns and overall pass game volume. But again, you start getting into the running back ranks. And after about 15 to 16, 17 guys, it really does become guys full more in uh, two back committees and even three back committees that we have to worry more about. So, you know, specifically against some guys in this range, I would still lean towards Deontay Foreman just ahead of Deion Jackson with Chuba Hubbard out, who we'll talk about in just a second. I would go ahead and fire up um, our, our, our guy uh, Deion Jackson though ahead of Eno Benjamin and Antonio Gibson also dealing with some injuries going on in their backfield Hopefully, guys, our one true king, Cordero Patterson, will be activated from IR, but we don't know just yet. He is eligible to return this week. He's been practicing. We're just not sure just yet. So I realize, even as president of the Cordero Patterson fan club, he did come back last year and wasn't quite the same player down the stretch and didn't have the same workload. So same coaching staff here. Obviously, Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley. They're in Arthur Smith's good graces enough to be combining for freaking 30 touches a week, it seems like, every time out there. So no, I am not leaning towards Patterson this week if he is even even going to be active because there does seem like a decent chance that they're going to keep multiple running backs involved but it does seem like he's going to be back sooner rather than later so once he's back you know he'll definitely be in the top 24 mix it will be a little bit of a wait and see game so if he is out I have Tyler Algier as my RB 24 on the week ahead of guys like CEH Michael Carter Brian Robinson amongst others in Baltimore Monday night football one so it's very frustrating and you cannot have like any sort of certainty about this situation but Gus Edwards with the hamstring injury we already had coach John Harbaugh say that it's a minor injury but he already gave him that questionable tag even though it's not going to be official until Saturday afternoon so hey if Gus is out then we have Kenyon Drake getting a nice little boost he's going to have 10 to 15 touches in all likelihood the problem is Justice Hill and even Mike Davis will be staying involved so it takes you into this Ravens offense and Nick it's going to have to be the Lamar Jackson show and yeah it really was the Lamar Jackson show weeks one through three ever since though man we got the second half against the Buccaneers he started to look pretty damn good again really has been rough sledding for this Ravens offense and when you take out Bateman you maybe take out Mark Andrews and now they're even back down to their you know RB3 RB4 again I am shocked to see the Saints as two and a half point dogs at home against this Ravens offense how much you know Lamar can't do everything Nick and they're pretty much asking him to to do just that at this point 
Yeah, I uh, we'll talk about one of these other uh, Ravens a little bit later on, but I, I guess you know Kenyon Drake, I I would expect him to start, and he'll he'll probably clear the double digit touch mark, but I think that's all that we can really say for him. And again, because it's on Monday night, I have these guys just buried in my low end RB three spots because I do think you just can't be playing games with a situation where they're going to honestly have a chance at being rendered moot points. In Gus Edwards' case, if he's inactive, then obviously you can't use that. And then if he is active, then Kenny Drake will be much tougher to come by. Appreciate you, Samuel. Deion Jackson or Hunter Renfro? Absolutely, Deion Jackson. The Raiders are using Renfro as their third wide receiver, sadly enough. All right, mentioned before, Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard officially ruled out with that ankle injury. So Deontay Foreman coming off the three touchdowns. Now, I don't expect the Panthers to score 34 points each and every week. We still had other guys out there actually stealing some targets away from Deontay Foreman. That said, he should still be looking at 20-plus combined you know, carries and targets, and that's pretty tough to fade you know, in fantasy football so I'm gonna have Deontay Foreman right up there inside my top 16 running backs you know I had Miles Sanders ranked as my RB 15 going to this week and I think right behind that makes a lot of sense for Deontay Foreman so I'm starting him ahead of guys like Devin Singletary like David Montgomery that we just don't feel as good about just have some caution because my god I mean I saw Chuba Hubbard gets out and every single guy out there on the old Twitter sphere that has fantasy in their bio is just saying smash Deontay Foreman and yeah to an extent man but they are still seven and a half point underdogs to the Bengals and I love PJ Walker XFL Hall of Famer I get it he's looked good out there that said this is still an offense that again I'm not expecting to necessarily be flirting with these upper end outcomes each and every week credit to them for doing that so far so again I would imagine Deontay Foreman is going to be started in most lineups he's out there. But if you have a team where it's like Ramondre Stevenson, Leonard Fournette, and maybe Raheem Mostert versus Deontay Foreman, I don't think it's out of the question to actually find him being the odd man out. We can use the past to help inform us about the future. I'm not expecting this offense to feed Deontay Foreman three rushing touchdowns every single week out. Good news in Tennessee. Titans running back Derrick Henry not listed on the final injury report with that foot injury. Continues to lead the league in rushing yards per game. Four years running. The only Titan player that we were feeling good about Sunday night against the Chiefs. Much less good news going on in Detroit with DeAndre Swift. Officially questionable with his ankle and shoulder injury. So early on in the week, Dan Campbell said, quote unquote, we probably gave Swift one too many carries. He's not back, so maybe give another one of those carries to Jamal. More recently, Campbell said, the plan is to get Swift in the game versus the Packers and quote-unquote see where he's at the hell is this Nick like come on man they're just they're playing with this guy's injury Swift came out himself and said he can't promise that he'll be at 100% this year man at Swift's gonna have to be someone like outside my top 36 easily I don't know how you can fire up Swift with any level of confidence with this going on even if he is active and that goes for this week and potentially moving forward unfortunately yeah, I agree. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Jamal Williams has a lot going for him. The uh, Lions offensive line had been injured earlier in the year. They got a little bit healthier after the bye and they've been playing better than they were. Uh, Jamal Williams is also dominating the goal to go touches. So it's basically Swift's value comes from catching passes. And if he's not getting a high volume workload, then it's it will be hard for him to find a ceiling. 
and uh, got a nice question in the chat about Swift looking at it rest of the season. Again, Swift came out today and said he can't promise he's going to be at 100% this year. This Lions team right now, the roar has not been restored, everyone. I know we couldn't stop hearing about that in August, but it's been quite a while now. And you look at this 1-7 Lions team and with someone like DeAndre Swift, who I still think they consider a bit of a cornerstone for this offense and certainly someone that's you know in their future plans, I wouldn't be shocked if guys like DeAndre Swift and even Najee Harris down the road all of a sudden become guys where they're not asked to play through the pain when the season is completely done for this offense. So no, I don't think Swift is someone that honestly can be counted on for the rest of the season. Don't cut him just yet. We're working with, you know, the little information we have, and maybe he does take a step forward and get better. He's again, he said he can't promise he'll be at hundred percent this year. Doesn't mean it's impossible. So in the meantime, without Swift, Jamal Williams becomes a much more enticing RB2. The problem is they haven't even turned over the whole backfield to Jamal Williams without DeAndre Swift in the picture. We're still seeing guys like Craig Reynolds, like Justin Jackson going out there and getting all that fancy friendly pass down work, unfortunately. So when I'm looking at this man, like Nick, would you go? let's say Swift even if he's active man I honestly I don't know if we should can even be changing Jamal Williams rank much regardless of if Swift is active or not he's not going to be someone that's you know stopping Jamal from getting those 15 to 20 touches that we're basically hoping for when Swift's out anyway so really regardless of Swift's status I still, I think, lean a little bit to Deontay Foreman over Jamal Williams. Again, that's the guy where I'm kind of looking at a lot alongside these uh, RB2s that are being influenced by some injuries on their roster. I would lean Foreman ahead of Jamal Williams, but just barely, and Jamal ahead of guys like Singletary, like the Bears running backs, and uh, even Antonio Gibson. How's that sound to you? So I have Jamal Williams ranked as the running back 14, and I agree with what you're saying that Swift's status doesn't really change Williams' work. Yeah. Like his role is set. I have Dante Foreman ranked as the running back 15. So okay, we're right there. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a coin toss, yeah. It really is a coin toss. So we'll see what happens here. I, I guess you can say the Lions should be the team expected to score more points. I mean, that Packers-Lions game total, I believe, 49 and a half, tied for the highest mark in Week 9. Panthers-Bengals, I don't think it's necessarily going to be this low-scoring affair, but you would give the edge probably to the Lions. So coin flip situation. Uh, Nick's starting to sell me a little bit more on Jamal Williams, but that's about the right spot, and that's about the right guy that we are comparing him with. Good news, everyone. Chargers running back Austin Eckler. He's fine. He got added to the injury report on Thursday with the abdomen injury, not listed on the final edition. So continue to fire him up as the overall RB1 in all of fantasy football on pace to catch an asinine 129 passes this season. Bad news, Cardinals running back James Conner. A game-time decision yet again with this rib injury. Daryl Williams on the IR with the hip issue. So this week, uh, most messed up NFL scheduling thing I've seen in a minute. We have two games. Two games at the 4 p.m. Eastern slot. It's absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately, one of them does include James Conner and Eno Benjamin. So hopefully Schefter, Rap Sheet, whoever, they tell us on Sunday you know, Sunday morning, Saturday night, whenever they want to send those tweets. Hopefully we find out if Conner is going to play or not. If he's not playing, you're really going to be hard-pressed to have the sort of options to warrant putting him in the starting lineup and just worrying about that before we get to four o'clock. And that goes for Eno Benjamin as well. I mean, Daryl Williams is on the IR at this point. So if James Connor's out of the picture, we can actually expect Eno to be a quality RB2, probably below a lot of the guys we just talked about in terms of Jamal, 
Foreman um, and people in that range, but not that far below. You know, Benjamin has consistently gotten this close to 70% snap roll with 15 to 20 touches. So maybe you have both of them on your team, and that's great because if Connor's out there, I think we can kind of expect him to go back to having that same sort of role Eno has at the moment. Just one of those things right now where there is a lot of uncertainty in the air with Cliff Kingsbury really never telling us much about what's going on. So with these Cardinals running backs, to me, much more of a situation where I'd rather get, you know, get quirky with it in DFS streets because in that 6K running back range, they're getting all the ownership this week and Eno sitting right there at 5.9K. So if Connor's out from that perspective, I do love pivoting to Eno in tournaments. Again, just not really sure exactly who is going to be active here. Interesting one, Nick. Commanders running back J.D. McKissick ruled out with a neck injury. And I've seen some talks of really shooting Antonio Gibson up the ranks. He did technically get the start last week, although Brian Robinson did still end up with more carries. So fingers crossed we don't see someone like Jonathan Williams come in and continue to make this a three-headed backfield. Tentatively, I'm expecting Gibson and Robinson to essentially split the early down carry work and then for Gibson to have a pretty safe lead with the targets. So this is best case for Gibson. If we had to pick either Robinson or McKissick missing time, we would pick, you know, McKissick eight days out of the week with all due respect to the neck injury JD's going through, of course. But Gibson's been fantastic as a receiver this year. Third among 38 qualified backs in yards per route run. Second in PFF receiving grade behind only Christian McCaffrey. So he's in the RB2 mix. I'm still going to favor more definitive lead backs like Raheem Mostert and Deontay Foreman. But I think that pass down role, it's enough for me to favor Gibson over guys like, you know, like Singletary, like the Bears backs. I would probably still give Jamal Williams a slight need lead over Gibson. What do you think about this situation, Nick? How high should we be booming Antonio Gibson up the ranks? Um, I think that you've done a pretty good job outlining outlining it here. I've got Gibson just sort of as like a run-of-the-mill running back too. Um, they are hysterically now giving him passing down work, which like, you know, should have been happening all along. But he, he is good in the passing game. He and, and Brian Robinson are both kind of inefficient rushers. Um, so I think that like for that reason, Robinson m- might just continue to be involved. But um yeah, I, I've got him a little bit behind Foreman, and I, I think he's a totally fine start this week. Gibson, that is. Los Angeles Rams backfield always causing another headache in the year 2022. Cam Akers not listed on the injury report due to this personal beef going on. Head coach Sean McVay said the team is still working through whether he's going to play on Sunday. Similar sentiment with Kyron Williams, their rookie running back. They've had the practice window activated, but he's still on uh, the IR. Might even be the pup list just with that foot injury. So we don't know. We're going to find out on Saturday if he's going to be active. But Kyron Williams, as we talked about on the waiver podcast, myself and Nathan Yonke record every Tuesday. He's a lottery ticket. He's not someone we can actually put in the lineup this week expecting much of anything, but he is, you know, potentially one good game's worth of usage away from being on the cover of next week's waiver wire article. So Kyron, Cam, Henderson, Ronnie, Malcolm Brown, name a Rams running back with any other player in a start sick question. I will be going with the other guy, especially this week in a matchup against the Buccaneers front seven. That I know still been getting some flack, but come on guys, this Rams offense can't do anything this year. We need, you know, anything to happen in this backfield. Just give us one guy. I don't care who at this point. It could be Akers. It could be Kyron. Please just give us one guy, Sean McVay, and maybe there could be something good happening in this offense other than just Cooper Cup. 
In New England, Damian Harris seems to be back to having a chance to play this week. He got in a limited practice on Friday with that illness officially listed as questionable. Also, Pierre Strong uh, listed as questionable with a hamstring injury. So, obviously, Strong's out of the picture. Look, assuming Damian Harris like wasn't even going to be close to inactive this week, I still had Ramondre Stevenson as my RB12. He outcarried Damian Harris last week, and he has all the fantasy-friendly pass-down work. So, if Damian Harris is like completely inactive, okay, we can put Stevenson and hell put him you know number three put him four I don't care like you're starting him no matter what but that's already pretty much you know what we're doing here in the first place Stevenson deserves to be ranked ahead of all these RB2s we've talked about because he has such a higher pass down floor than any of those guys involved so Ramondre Stevenson regardless of whether Damon Harrison Damian Harris is going to be in there you need to be starting him we did get one question before from G Burns Ramondre Stevenson versus Dalvin Cook like my God, man, you better have the most loaded team in your league if that is going to be a question out there. So from that perspective, okay, I'll go Dalvin Cook over Ramondre. But, man, Nick, hey, we got the question here. Like, let's say Damon Harris is out. In that case, would you still go Dalvin Cook over Ramondre? Probably. No? No, I, no I'd go, I'd go I, if if he is just running alone back there. I guess yeah, you're right. <laughs> if, but, like, that's it. You know, if, if Damian Harris is active, then yeah. I, but, like – what are we doing here? If, if, if you have a, a team that where you can bench a top 12 running back, then like, yeah, did you need to ask? It, it, it is very true. So we're, uh, we're talking about a good problem here. And that's one of those things too. Like, all right, everyone, look, I came on this yeah. podcast. Now I said, Christian McCaffrey should be the one Oh one, like cool. Good job by me. Guess where I had Jonathan Taylor ranked the one Oh two. I can't get over everyone acting like they're freaking geniuses for putting McCaffrey ahead of Taylor. When we all had Taylor as the RB two, and he hasn't even been close to that. Like this is not, I don't consider that like a glowing win. Clearly there were bigger issues with Taylor. We all should, should have been more aware of like we're doing the exact thing that Jonathan Taylor people would have done if Christian McCaffrey had gotten hurt you know where all these people victory lapping the Jonathan Taylor injury like you've become who you hated this is worst case man come on so just one of those things again where the the victory lapping nature of our industry I know it's prominent but let's, let's just consider the context involved and move forward like again I don't consider it a win on Jonathan Taylor's evaluation when we rank the guy as the second best RB be in all of fantasy football so if you were someone out there and you ranked taylor fifth or sixth because of this then kudos to you i'll tap i'll give you a hat tip but otherwise miss me with that final little note here safe running back mark ingram not expected to be there this week probably going to miss a couple weeks with a grade two mcl sprain so with that alvin kamara the overall rb1 this year and expected ppr points per game finally starting to see last week you know what a workload like that can do over time when those touchdowns start coming into play i will say that not having mark ingram in the picture probably not a coincidence that last week Taysom hill had a season high 11 touches so without ingram one less potential body to be making an impact around the goal line and and we got Nick, you know, obviously doing a great job hyping us up with the Taysom Hill top six, top seven experience all living on. All right, guys, a couple of questions before we get on going to wide receiver. Uh, Deion Jackson or David Montgomery going with Deion Jackson for sure. I do think some of the Khalil Herbert stuff is becoming a little bit overhyped. He had 14 carries on like 22 snaps last week. Like they have two good running backs in Chicago. I don't think a true takeover is going. That said, I do think Deion's a far more established number one running back at this point. Dak or Geno Smith rest of the season? Oh, Nick, I lean Gino, man. Dak hasn't thrown over 30 passes in one game this year. I don't think the Cowboys want him to. Who would you take? 
Um, it's difficult because Dak did get it going as a rusher last week. And if he's going to continue to like rush in scoring position, then I think that we can go with Dak. Um, I, I am, I have, I'm a Seattleite. And so Pete Carroll, like it is really tough to tough to trust him to continue <laughs> throwing the ball for an extended period of time. I do True. think the plug will be pulled at some point, but like a, I process would dictate for me, Geno Smith right now. And honestly, it's another good example of where I think a lot of people, including myself to an extent, went wrong, like ranking these quarterbacks before the year. We have our top, you know, four to six, like just mutants. And then we have the two uh, Joe Burrow types who are still able to put up some big numbers without the rushing yardage. But just our the way we were kind of doing this where we had Brady and Burrow and then there was the Dak and Rust here. And then there was like everyone else like that. Just the, everyone else have been a lot more involved in putting up some of these big weeks. I think we've gave it credit for Carson Wentz early on in the year, Geno Smith really throughout the season, Trevor Lawrence, Marcus Mariota have had their weeks, Jared Goff, our ability, I think, to discern the difference between some of the pocket passer tiers, I think, is where we really missed. And when we can't, uh, you know, just trust our ability as well to rank those guys, like that's what made guys like Goff, Mariota, Wentz values in round legit 17 and 18 at the very end when you were taking a chance on guys like Dak, like Burrow and whoever, you know, literally round seven, round eight, sometimes far earlier in the draft. So just something to keep in mind as we go on to next year. Before we get on the wide receiver, I do want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there first up underdog even though best ball mini has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick them game just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game and then you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick them entry. Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up a promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Also got to give some love over to a lovely place called western southern financial group the pff fantasy football podcast is sponsored by western southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home plan to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day Team up to understand needs and address goals with the game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. And as always, we give our friends over at Sleeper a shout out with our official Sleeper topic of the day and is going to be Sleeper of the Week. Nick, do you have a Sleeper of the Week? Because right now I'm going to go ahead and list one. Devin DuVernay, Rashad Bateman out of the picture for the entire season. Mark Andrews could very well be out for Monday night. I understand a lot of these things have been happening already throughout the year. We still haven't seen Duvernay even get 55 receiving yards. But as someone, every single Tuesday morning, you guys can read my sheesh report going over all the near misses throughout the week. Duvernay has been in there as much as anyone not named Deontay Johnson over the past four to six weeks out there. So I know we're getting in on Isaiah Likely. We'll talk about him later. And you should be excited about Isaiah Likely. But don't forget about Devin Duvernay quietly giving us a chance at some weekly wide receiver three upside here moving forward. They've been 
willing to get him the ball in the run game as well. I mean, without Gus Edwards, we could be looking at a situation where the Ravens just in their game plan really don't have a choice but other to look at Devin DuVernay as a legit top two, dare I say, option in their entire offense just to get the ball to. So Devin DuVernay, mix of rushing and receiving, I do think has a chance to provide us some quality wide receiver three production. Now the line, you had a touchdown or two to that. All of a sudden, we're talking about a top 24 option here in a few weeks. Any thoughts on a sleeper of the day, Nick, putting you on the spot? Yeah, no. So I'll back what you were saying here with Devin DuVernay. And what there is we go. a bummer about this is that someone I'll, I'll touch on more later. I had written up Demarcus Robinson as a wide receiver to target this week. Uh, but unfortunately, he showed up on the, the injury report with a groin injury uh, like an hour ago. So DuVernay, I mean, now he, it's it's like it's him and likely. That's it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm backing uh, Devin DuVernay for sleeper of the day or week. Day, there we go. Appreciate our friends over there at Sleeper. Again, if you guys haven't used Sleeper before to play your fantasy football leagues on, hey, I still use Yahoo ESPN. I don't want to put down the competitors. I will just put up Sleeper saying that they are my favorite place to go play redraft fantasy football and even some dynasty. Uh, we got Patrick asking about just some you know specific matchups that could be potential downgrades. So Patrick, I do do a shadow wide receiver cornerback matchup column every week on PFF.com. And I have a long intro to start that telling you, please, start your studs don't let this one perceived tough matchup completely change everything around that said you know one of the things you brought up sauce Gardner versus Stefan Diggs this week that's not going to happen because sauce Gardner does not actively follow around the opponent's number one wide receiver very few cornerbacks actually go ahead and do that and even when they do do it it's not for a hundred percent you know of the routes it might be for 50 or 60 oftentimes offenses can just move their wide receiver into the slot and avoid that matchup if they really want to that said the matchups I do expect to see one cornerback on one wide receiver for most of the game. Michael Pittman against Patriots cornerback Jalen Mills. Not exactly a downgrade. I'm just way more concerned about Sam Ellinger as a whole and also the potential volume coming with it. So those are more so the reasons why I have Pittman as a low-end wide receiver too. I do think Devontae Adams is going to be seeing a lot of Tyson Campbell with the Jaguars who low-key has done a very good job this year. Our 11th highest graded cornerback really shut down Cortland Sutton and Mike Williams. But guess what? It's Devontae freaking Adams. You're not even thinking about putting the guy anywhere in your lineup other than wide receiver one unless you're trying to send him some sort of psychological message also think matt collins will be on trey herndon we could see darnell mooney get some zavin howard especially with the news that chase claypool is only going to be out there on the field but once again i am just not as concerned about this matchup as i am about the volume at hand so in general these matchups for wide receiver running back quarterback wherever they're fine they're a piece of the puzzle but they're not the biggest piece they're a tiebreaker more times than not all right, guys, back into wide receiver here. Cooper Cup not listed on the final injury report. Gotta love that. He is going to play through whatever pain that ankle injury has lasted. Van Jefferson is questionable with a knee injury. He was out there for a good 60% of the routes last week, but obviously not quite at 100% yet, and we can't trust anyone this passing game other than Cooper Cup anyway. Tyler Higby to an extent, but I've already made my thoughts clear on the Rams, not necessarily flowing through him as much as they have in the past, because guys, when you have a bottom five offense in yards and points, and you look at all those targets Tyler Higby 
Higby is getting does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that maybe that's not actually what the Rams want to be doing on offense. Already talked a bit about Rashad Bateman being out for the year with the foot injury and how that impacts Devin Duvernay. So another unfortunate injury, Nick, that will be of the season ending variety. Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas with the foot slash toe injury, putting him on, on IR and completely out of the picture. So again, Saints play on Monday night. We could see Jarvis Landry back in action from his ankle injury first time since week four. That said, we won't know for sure what his designation is until tomorrow. So really all this does is continue to fire up Chris Olave as a locked in wide receiver too. Uh, I've got him as wide receiver one. So Whoa, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. I'm here for it. I mean, hey, why the hell not, man? So Alave last year, PPR wide receiver 42. Guess what? That was the first time since week two that he failed to finish inside the position's top 18 scores. So, hey, it's already been a situation where even Michael Thomas was on the field. We were seeing Chris Alave getting all sorts of air yards, you know, from Jameis and all that. Having Andy Dalton under center, got to give the Red Rockets some credit. You know, he's been able to field this top 10 scoring offense really throughout the entire season. And Chris Alave figures to continue to be a big part about that. So we saw Damian Pierce, you know, doing Damian Pierce things on Thursday Night Football. Kenneth Walker makes one incredible run every single week. But don't sleep on Chris Alave potentially winning that rookie of the year in a wide open NFC South that, hey, maybe could be there for the Saints taking. But the Bengals, Jamar Chase, unfortunately out once again with that hip injury, expecting to miss four to six weeks. So once again, treat T. Higgins as a wide receiver one and Tyler Boyd as a locked-in wide receiver two. I would continue to go back to the Boyd well, even ahead of guys like Michael Pittman and Juju Schmidt-Schuster, amongst others. Nick, I love the thought of going back to this Bengals offense and GPPs, especially this week. It was one week. Wasn't great. I saw, but it was Miles Garrett and company. I don't know, man. If there was going to be a defensive line capable of giving Burrow and that offensive line all sorts of trouble, it certainly does seem like, you know, the Browns fit that bill. All due respect to Brian Burns and the Panthers and what they can do at the line of scrimmage. But, man, look at the last two times the uh, Bengals got to go face some of these NFC South defenses. I don't think that we should be taking too much out of just a one-week sample size, Nick. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would be sticking with them, too. I think this will be a, a week where we get to learn a lot about the health of the Carolina Panthers secondary. They've gone through a million injuries. They're yeah. trending towards the right direction. But I think Dante uh, Jackson is questionable. Up, like, Yeah. So, you know, I, I just I would be betting on talent here, but it would be cool if Carolina can kind of, you know, get a little scrappy. Why not? Let's, let's get a little scrappy. Speaking of secondary injuries, I might as well just bring it up right now. That Bengals secondary is awfully banged up, and it's a reason to be back on the DJ Moore Express this week. Chidobia Wuzie out for the season with an ACL. Mike Hilton out with a finger injury. Eli Apple is back from a hamstring injury. You guys don't need me to tell you that Eli Apple being back and potentially hobbled isn't the biggest thing to worry about. Even Trey Flowers questionable with a hamstring injury. So as we told you guys last week when DJ Moore was a recommended play, it wasn't just being because he had one good week. It was because Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey aren't coming back and he was facing a banged up secondary. Guess what? All those things still apply for this week. And because of that, DJ Moore is once again in the top 20. All right, guys, after, as I refine my spot on my handy-dandy cheat sheet over here, Buccaneers wide receiver room getting better. Mike Evans, you know, a little hobble with the ankle, but it's more rest. He's not listed on the final injury report. Chris Goblin's perfectly fine. Even Julio Jones entering a football game without an injury designation. I'm knocking on wood because I might have just jinxed it, but Julio, he should be good. God forbid something happened between now and game time. The only guy they're missing is Russell Gage out with a hamstring injury. So last week, Julio ran a route on a good, not great, 56 percent 
of Tom Brady's drop back. So he's in the wide receiver four conversation. He got that late touchdown, but still someone that's going to be awfully tough to trust. And let's face it, if we had to predict someone to, you know, maybe not make it through a full game, Julio certainly probably be near the top of that list. But Chris Goblin and Mike Evans, Nick, this is where it gets interesting. If this offense is ever going to catch its stride, which I would like to think at some point this season, they will. Tom Brady, his arm is not looking like 2015 Peyton, 2020 Breeze just yet. They just haven't quite been linking up as efficiently as we're used to seeing. If they do, man, we actually have this volume far more condensed around Evans and Goblin than I think we were expecting to start the season. Since Goblin got back full-time in this lineup in week four, he's second to only Tyreek Hill in total targets among wide receivers in the NFL. And Mike Evans is tied for third. So I am continuing, man, even through some of these ups and downs. And to be fair, both these guys have still put up, you know, solid numbers more weeks than not. I have Evans as my wide receiver 11. Goblin as my wide receiver 15 should be in the heavy majority of fantasy football lineups out there. Not necessarily ahead of the best get-right spot in the world, but that said, this Rams defense defense we have seen them be had at several points this year do you have any information on uh Jalen Ramsey whether he's gonna shadow someone here or if he's just gonna man the slot I don't think he's going to shadow Evans now Evans has been one of the few receivers over the years where they have gone out of their way but I think they kind of leave this at this point just for the high profile matchups like last year with Jalen Ramsey he actually didn't shadow Debo or Mike Evans until they met again in the playoffs and then at that point he did shadow them so for me it could happen it happened in the past but Ramsey's already faced Stefan Diggs CeeDee Lamb DJ Moore and hasn't shadowed anybody this year nobody's running more zone coverage than the Rams this year so I do think both of Evans and Goblin they'll see some Ramsey out there but I'm not expecting it to be on every play basis and hey man if it is on every play basis what we say before start your studs Evans went for a buck 20 and a touchdown against Jalen Ramsey last year remember it looked like uh, Tom Brady's last career pass when he had that brief retirement was going to be that bomb to Evans right over Jalen Ramsey in man coverage so volume is going to win out when you have someone as good as Evans or Goblin with the Chargers, Keenan Allen out with the hamstring injury. Apparently got worse over the bye week. Not sure how that's possible, but that freaking sucks. Mike Williams also out with an ankle injury. DeAndre Carter questionable with an illness. And Josh Palmer not listed with a concussion. Michael Bandy went from being a punchline and, and not someone that we any of us really even knew in the first couple of weeks of the year to now actually showing up as a chalky wide receiver at, I believe, 3,500 on DraftKings. So, Bandy... Carter, unless you're really desperate, and I'm, I'm really desperate in some fantasy leagues, so this is not an indictment on you guys, but unless you're really desperate and need a flex option because of all these bye weeks, you're not super hyped up about them. And honestly, Nick, I have a tough time putting Josh Palmer too high up in the rankings right now. So trying to see where I have him. I have a wide receiver 28 right now ahead of guys like Curtis Samuel, London, Duvernay, Darnell Mooney. So I'm not completely against them, but I would still start guys like Rondale, Thielen, Jacoby Myers, Christian Kirk ahead of Josh Palmer this week. I guess my thing with Palmer is this isn't exactly new. Keenan's been out the entire season. I don't know that Mike Williams being out is going to necessarily cause Herbert to only focus his sights on Josh Palmer. Palmer really hasn't been that good this year. And what do we see Herbert continue to do in this situation? He feeds the ball to Austin Eckler. So am I too low on Josh Palmer? How are you feeling about this banged up Chargers wide receiver room? It's it's tough, man. I, I want to make a pun about Palmeranian, but <laughs> so against the, 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 the X factor with the Atlanta Falcons cornerbacks is that they just traded for Rashad Fenton, who is a perimeter corner from Kansas city. He's pretty good. 
Um, the ATL secondary has been totally destroyed by injury. So like Fenton could just end up covering Palmer because I, I, they're not going to have anybody out there outside of him. So I would feel comfortable starting him purely on volume, but he has proven to not be the receiver that at least I at one point was hoping uh, that he would be. Um, your point about Michael Bandy, he was a lot of fun. I wrote him up a bunch in the preseason, but like I, he's a great story. I don't think that he's a, an NFL player. Or, and so it, it's hard for me to get on board with the, the chalk play here. Um, given the six week buys, yeah, Palmer's wide receiver three, but it's like, it's, it's purely volume. And I'm not going to be surprised if Gerald Everett just eats everything. I was just about to say, and we'll get to some DFS discussion later, but I'm not eating either the Bandy or the Josh Palmer chalk. I'd much rather go with Gerald Everett or go all the way up to Austin Eckler, probably more so a tournament move there. With the Raiders, Devontae Adams, he was limited still with that illness on Wednesday, but back-to-back full practices. Last week, we did see his routes, you know, just at 65%, but they also, I mean, they had Carr in the first-team offense out by the end of that fourth quarter. So it was that, getting killed with the flu. All factors that we're not exactly expecting to that same degree this week here. I do think this could be a nice bounce back spot for Adams. Matt Holland's also not listed with the heel heel injury. Pretty good matchup. You know, again, Trey Herndon, PFF's 87th highest graded corner out of 122 qualified defensive backs. So Matt Holland's maybe someone, you know, need a spare part in a DF in a, a GPP lineup. God forbid, you know, low-key solid flex play. Don't completely sleep on Mac. With the Jets, Corey Davis out with a knee injury. We'll have Garrett Wilson, Denzel Mims, Braxton Berrios, Jeff Smith, and Elijah Moore. Sadly, in that order, most likely, going up against a Bills defense that, man, Nick, if there is ever a time like to predict an offense to get shut out, I think it's this week with the New York Jets. I don't know how they're going to move the ball. This Bills defense is freaking amazing, and they get pressure at the third highest rate. Massive kryptonite for Zach Wilson, the single worst quarterback in the league in terms of drop-off, yards per attempt when kept clean versus pressured. It's a banged up, bad offensive line against this group, and they don't blitz to force that pressure. So now we're going to ask a hurried Zach Wilson to try to throw the ball against uh, getting uh, Bill's secondary that's actually getting healthier now. I, I don't know how they moved the football this week, Nick. I don't want anything to do with anybody on this Jets offense, and I'm surprised they aren't the lowest implied offense of the week. Yeah, so one point to make. Uh, Von Miller, I wouldn't be surprised if they rest him. He showed up with an in, an ankle injury, but I, they don't need him because they're like eight deep in, in yeah. the pass rush. Um, does Garrett Wilson count as a stud to start? No. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I don't think so either, but I, it's, I, uh, I want to, he's so close to being that, but I, I think I, of, I think of start your studs as like a top 12 player at the position. Yeah. Like fair. that's one of those things. Maybe you drop them to, you know, last week, Aaron Jones, I think against the bills or maybe RB 12, like the RB 15, but you're still starting him. So future stud, you know, my wide receiver dynasty one going into the season. I'm not doubting Garrett Wilson's, you know, underlying talent at all, but no, it's, it's a good, uh, good, good clarification points. So when I say start your studs, I'm talking about the round one, round two blue chip players. Those are the guys where when they have the offensive environment, they have the underlying talent and they have the usage. I'm not going to worry about part number four, that being the tough matchup. Bears wide receiver Chase Claypool coming over from the trade. Uh, thanks, Matt Eberflus. Between 10 and 35 snaps. Uh, super, super specific there. Guess what? Regardless, you're not playing them this week. And I just think that we're getting a little bit overhyped. I don't consider this a better offensive environment for Chase Claypool. I think Kenny Pickett, unfortunately, has had a brutal st- schedule stretch to come out. 
I don't think it's a given that we're going to see him continue to work as a least efficient, as a lesser efficient passer than Justin Fields. And look, man, Darnell Mooney has 44 targets this year. That would rank fourth on the Steelers. Like you can say Chase Claypool was the wide receiver three in Pittsburgh. The wide receiver three on Pittsburgh got more targets than the wide receiver one in Chicago. So honestly, Claypool just coming over for me, it just hurts the possibility of Mooney actually being able to have any sort of fantasy value. So in Chicago, okay, Herbert, Montgomery, low end, borderline RB2s, whatever you want to call them. We have Justin Fields, you know, ripping off top 12 fantasy finishes like it's his job lately. Other than that, though, I do not want anything to do with this passing game. In Seattle, Tyler Lockett, not listed with a hamstring and rib issue. DK Metcalf, not listed with a knee issue. Marquise Goodwin is going to be out with the groin. So both top 15 options at the position. You better be pretty damn loaded to put either Lockett or Metcalf anywhere near that bench. Packers wide receiver Alan Lazard, questionable with a shoulder injury. He is going to be called a straight-up game-time decision. So even if he is going to be active, it's one of those things where when I hear they're a game-time decision, Nick, even if they don't explicitly come out and say that this guy is going to have his snaps limited, that certainly doesn't bode well for uh, that idea. Christian Watson questionable with a concussion, but he only practiced in a limited fashion on Friday. Usually you want to see that full practice on Friday for a guy to get out of the concussion protocol, especially with the NFL's kind of new uh, stuff going on with that. So last week it was Romeo Dobbs and Sammy Watkins as the full-time two primary receivers. Amari Rogers and Samori Torrey really far in the back so look if Lazard plays I think it's reasonable to drop Dobbs down a couple spots and he might not necessarily be locked in as you know this top 30 option at the position if not though Nick, it does get awfully difficult to keep him out. If the backers aren't going to get right against the Lions league worst scoring defense when the hell is it ever going to happen yep totally agree I'm going to break down Dubs in a little bit here there we go. A little foreshadowing. All right. Commanders wide receiver Jahan Dotson out with the hamstring injury. So Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel should still continue to have plenty of action. Don't discount a potential Curtis Samuel bounce back week. Love him as a contrarian play in tournaments this week on DraftKings. He's priced right next to guys like Rondale, like, uh, um, oh my gosh, like Josh Palmer, guys that I think are getting far more ownership attention. And honestly, with Curtis Dotson being out again and JD McKissick being out, all of a sudden they don't have too many more areas to go to and i know gibson's going to be a lot of that but curtis samuel himself nine carries over these past two weeks don't sleep on curtis you know finally getting a little bit of a boom himself after terry's been the main guy over the past two weeks Lions wide receiver Josh Reynolds, doubtful with a back injury. Hey, another situation where we have a reasonable flex wide receiver emerging. Obviously, the sun god locked in as a top 10 PPR receiver. But Khalif Raymond, someone that's actually been out there playing 80, 90 plus percent of the snaps. And obviously, when you're on the field that much, you're also running around at an elite rate. So in those games, you know, Khalif over the past three weeks, five catches, 45 yards, five catches, 75 yards, three catches, 76 yards with a little bit of rushing production to boot. So so again, low-key solid flex option in a Packers-Lions matchup that we are expecting plenty of points to be scored. Kadarius Tony not even listed on the injury report with that phantom hamstring injury. That said, all Coach Andy Reid would tell us is that we'll try to work him in. He picks things up fairly easily. So Juju and MVS the entire season, these have been the only Chiefs wide receivers with the full-time roles that we can feel good about in fantasy. In the first place, I think what Kadarius is going to do in the near term is just really muddle things up between him, Miko, and Sky Moore. So keep Tony on those benches. Feel great. The guy wasn't even playing football this time two weeks ago go and had seemingly no plans to do so this season so still very much good news for all the Kadarius Tony stonks out there just realize that at least this week we cannot trust him as a realistic fantasy option 
Final two notes, Patriots wide receiver Devontae Parker out with a knee injury. We had a bold call in our comments earlier from our guy Robert calling the Taekwon Thornton six catches for 100 yards against the Colts. Hey, the cheapest wide receiver I can wrap my mind around on DraftKings this week is Taekwon Thornton. I believe just 3,500 out there. So you want to go make that call? Go do it in a DraftKings lineup. I would not recommend doing that in your actual season-long lineup, though, because we do have a Colts defense, number one in PPR points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers. Stephon Gilmore getting mossed by Terry McLaurin aside, still very much an elite cornerback, even in his elderly state. And I just think the only guy we can trust in this Patriots pass-catching room is Jacoby Myers. Quietly, guys. Jacoby Myers, the wide receiver 13 in PPR points per game this season. When Mac Jones is under center, there's only one guy he wants to target. His name is Jacoby Myers. And finally, Jamal Agnew, questionable with a knee injury. We don't really care. He's a part-time gadget guy regardless. All right, guys, a couple things going on at tight end. Mark Andrews, knee and shoulder. So John Harbaugh said that the shoulder injury is not a quote-unquote major thing. The Ravens do have a week 10 bye, though, and I believe he started off the week with back-to-back DMPs. So not looking great for Mark Andrews, which leads us to the question, Nick. Where do we rank Isaiah likely if Andrews ends up getting ruled out? I do lean likely over someone like Taysom Hill. And it's not just Andrews being out. It's Andrews <laughs> and Bateman being out, man. Like likely it's not a backup tight end stepping in. It's a talented proven backup tight end. We saw him be PFS highest grade tight end in the preseason. He comes in last week, you know, in the second half, basically against the Buccaneers and balls out. I would start Kelsey, Andrews, Goddard and Ertz. For sure ahead of Isaiah likely. I think Kyle Pitts and Gerald Everett are very close and it's worth a discussion. What say you? All right, here's my top seven. Kelsey, Goddard, Ertz, Taysom, likely Everett, Pitts. And I think after Kelsey, if you want to sit down and make a strong argument to rearrange that two through seven in a yeah. given manner, I'm, I will agree with you. Uh, it we're, we're just in this like these are the kind of guys that you start because they have an excellent path to a ceiling can they fail yeah that's tight end um so saying likely overtaste milk go for it I, i'm totally down with it i'm starting likely all over the place but uh, you know i can see gerald Everett too like we, we talked yeah. about him earlier he he's a great play I guess I listed uh, Andrews as a theoretical guy to start ahead of likely. So my bad, everyone. You get what I'm trying to say uh, with this. But no, I, I think that's fair. Look, Travis Kelsey's in a tier of his own, but that's how highly we think of Isaiah likely. So just the fact that he is in that group, obviously someone that you should feel good about starting, but it's on Monday night. So this is tricky. And if we do have Mark Andrews entering the game as questionable, don't overthink this and just start the other guy if you're lucky enough to have that option for you. Another situation where, again, if you just have have one of the other options go ahead and start them but we don't have to deal with the 4 p.m start time at least and that is in regards to darren waller questionable again with his hamstring injury without waller we have seen foster moreau get that near full-time role the two guys that i do think if you're really desperate you know you can't even get isaiah likely you can't get gerald everett or any of these guys foster moreau and kate otten chilling there in the mid-tier tight end two range as guys that hey they're gonna be on the field almost every single snap you can do worse than that at the notoriously fickle tight end position 
Jets tight end CJ Uzoma not listed with a shoulder. He doesn't really impact Tyler Conklin's usage anyway. Adam Troutman, if he's out again with an ankle, that'd be a slight boost for Taysom Hill. But again, I think honestly the Mark Ingram injury is probably better news than anything for Taysom. Lions tight end Brock Wright. It's another one of these not concussed, but he's in the concussion protocol, so he's still questionable even though he's not concussed. Either way, we're not trusting him as anything other than maybe if you're daring a 2.5K min price start on DraftKings. But even then, this is a guy this year, six targets and 181 snaps. I just think we're probably going to see a committee of sorts in Detroit. And even if Wright has the full-time role, it's not like Jared Goff has to throw him the ball. Certainly hasn't gone out of his way to do so so far this year. Seahawks tight end Noah Fant, not listed with a hamstring injury, but again, this is still a guy that's just kind of stuck in that low-end tight end two range because Will Disley is going to have to play a ton, and even Colby Parkinson is a threat to go out there and steal a touchdown along the way. Buccaneers tight end Cam Brait is out. I mentioned before, Kate Otten in the tight end two conversation, 94, 81, and 91% snap rates in his last three featured games. Uh, Commanders tight end Logan Thomas, not listed. Cole Turner, not listed. Expect a continued rotation there. I don't want to start any of them. And finally, you need some more good news for Gerald Everett. Donald Parham is going to be out with a hamstring injury. So they're still going to have Trey Meow McKitty out there getting some reps and you know even some other tight ends. Richard Rodgers has been making his presence felt as well. But without Keenan, without Mike Williams, you would really like to think that Gerald Everett's going to have a solid 8 to 10 targets in this one. Never a bad fancy asset to trust when he got that going against a banged up Falcon secondary. So that's wrapping up all the injury talks. Everyone, don't go anywhere just yet, though, because we have plenty of DFS and prop goodness we would love to share with you guys. Nick has a fantastic article up each and every week at PFF.com. His week nine NFL week nine DFS cheat sheet five recommended plays for all contests and Nick the first one is a quarterback and a dual threat quarterback at that albeit it doesn't always do the passing part as often as folks would like why do you like Marcus Mariota this week just 5.3k on DraftKings going up against the Chargers yeah so PFF's ownership projections put him at uh 3.33% uh roster ship rate it's 13th highest so I think that we have a lot of leverage right there I like the game total, 49.5 points, with Atlanta sitting at a 23.25 points implied team total. The fun part about Mariota's style of play, uh, since week two, so he had carries in week one, but since week two, he's averaged exactly six rush attempts per game. I think he's at 5.1 yards per carry. Um, So we'll circle back to the prop bets here, but I think that we can hit the over on his rushing bet. Uh, The Los Angeles chargers front seven is allowing 1.88 rushing yards before contact. That's the most in the NFL within the article. I've included a bunch of their advanced uh, run defense metrics, but the the bottom line is that they're very, very bad. Um, I think that Mariota, if he just sticks to his average rushing workload, uh, it'll put him at uh, like in the mid thirties at, in terms of uh, rushing, you know, so six times 5.1, whatever. Um, so his his rushing over, his rushing line is 33 and a half points. I think that he can cruise past that in the plus matchup. And then from a passing perspective, the Chargers lost JC Jackson, who was having a terrible year. And that's, that's really too bad. But they're going to have a mismatch on the perimeter with Drake London going up against a journeyman cornerback, uh, Mike Davis. Davis is, is, really not an NFL starter. And I know Drake London has been quiet for quite some time, but I think that this is too glaringly obvious of a matchup 
uh, for them to ignore. Now, maybe Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith will prove me wrong here, but this <laughs> is shaping up like a matchup that I want to uh, what that I want to bet on. Any thoughts from you? Yeah, no, and you look at just the overall exposure of this game and everyone's getting in on these Chargers backup receivers. So if you want to take advantage of a matchup that, let's face it, does have pretty solid scoring upside on both sides of the ball, I think going with Mariota in this passing game makes a lot of sense. Like we saw last week, man, Kyle Pitts, when he had the targets, he could still do big things with them. I still think that same sentiment applies to Drake London. I mean, I tweeted out just one of his slot snaps, one of his uh, slant snaps when he went out there and actually made a rare catch. And the dude is just, man, you think back to like April and people were down his separation ability. I've never been more convinced that Drake London is going to be a fantastic NFL wide receiver for many years to come. The volume just hasn't been there. And we saw again how someone like Kyle Pitts can still be very good. They're just not getting thrown the ball in Atlanta. So we can talk about you earn your targets and all this. But when your offense throws the ball 14 times per game, they really are earning targets at a good rate. I could see Justin Herbert and company being the guy to do a little bit of what the Panthers did last week, and that's put Arthur Smith in a deep enough hole where he has no other choice but to pass. And I guess that's what's kind of made the whole thing that frustrating. It's not like the Falcons have gone out there, thrown the ball, and not had any success. They really have been good. We've seen London. We've seen Pitts, even Lomide Zacchaeus and Demir Bird. Like, they had random guys out there making some big plays through the air, obviously just really willing to give the ball to Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley a lot. But as I've said multiple times this week, Falcons fans you guys have a top 10 offense in any of these metrics we want to reference so us fantasy losers can continue to hate all we want Arthur Smith is doing what his job is and that is to score more points Nick, I really like your next player here, DJ Moore. It seems like a lot of times, you know, more boomer bus types like DJ, they have their boom, and then people just, they assume the bus is is coming next. And, hey, just like we kind of talked about before, we will be off DJ Moore eventually, probably, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we won't be. But not until these things change that keeps making him such a good play, one being – the volume going his way. Terrence Marshall's getting some reps here and there, but Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, they aren't coming back. And as you point out here, the big alert this week is another matchup with a banged up secondary. Yeah. So you named all of the guys and in, in, in their injuries that they're dealing with earlier in the show. It looks like we might have Eli Apple, but the two guys who are expected Great. to be <laughs> who, are, who are expected to be flanking him are a pair of rookies, Cam Taylor Britt, who's 40, he's earned a 47.8 PFF coverage grade on 38 snaps, and then uh, totally untested rookie Jalen Davis, who has not yet taken a professional NFL snap. Over the last two weeks, DJ Moore uh, working with, uh, you know, number three quarterback, PJ Walker. Number one in your heart, so. There you Yes, yes, sir. Uh, he's number eight in PFF receiving grade. He's number seven in explosive pass plays generated. He's tied for number 14 in contested catch rate, number three in yards per route run, and number three in targets per route run. So more, they've just kind of found this, this riffing uh, amalgamation. And I think that these two are just going to keep things going. The Cincinnati Bengals secondary is, you know, fighting with the Atlanta Falcons for being most injured in the NFL. I think that more can succeed. Uh, a big time in this one. 
another wide receiver pick that I couldn't love more. And honestly, he is in my early cash game lineup show. I'm on Ross St. Brown with the Detroit Lions. Look, we spent all offseason talking about how, oh, it's how, what's Sun God going to do when Hawkinson and Swift are back in the lineup? And we saw examples in weeks one and two. And guess what? He was still putting up PPR wide receiver one numbers, even in a crowded offense. And, oh, hey, Nick, we don't even have to worry about that anymore because Hawkinson now resides in Minnesota. DeAndre Swift is actually questionable. It sounds like even if he plays, it could only be, you know, for a select handful of snaps type of deal. Oh, and for good measure, Jamison Williams doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon. DJ Chark remains on IR and freaking Josh Reynolds is doubtful. So I'm on Ross St. Brown, 10 plus targets per game, probably going to keep happening. And what better week to go ahead and target that in a potential shootout against the Packers? Yeah. So to your point on TJ Hawkinson, he was ARSB's primary short area target competition. Hawkinson was working with an 8.2 yard average depth of target. St. Brown's is 5.4 yards of the wide receivers and tight ends. Those are the two guys who are most at odds. So Hawkinson's departure alone is a big deal. But as you've mentioned, they've got other wide receiver problems going on. Um, The ARSB's primary coverage opponent this week is Rasul Douglas. Douglas started out the year hot last four five weeks, excuse me, since week four. Uh, he's earned a PFF coverage grade of just 52.8. He's allowing 1.41 receiving yards per coverage snap, 17th most among NFL cornerbacks with, elite, with at least 100 coverage snaps. I don't know what's going on with Douglas. He is typically a very good cornerback, but he like last five weeks, he's been a total ghost. So uh, I, the the matchup is there. The volume is there. I think that ARSB is a, a quiet or maybe loud candidate to finish the, the week with the highest target total in the NFL. And helpfully, Amara St. Brown showed up as the number two player on Josh Hermsmeyer's Bilo Air Yards model. So that's a, a big check mark uh, and things that we like to look for in DFS. Love when you can always get one of those guys popping in the buy low model. That doesn't cost that much, 6.6K. And guess what? It's projected ownership on pff.com on DraftKings, just 5.3%. A little bit chalkier on FanDuel this week. But DraftKings, again, I just think it's when you look at kind of the way the prices are falling out wide receiver and running back, you have all that value in the 5K range and even up to 6K. And just the way things work out, you're able to get up a little bit past the Monra if you want to. Or I think people are just drawn to going a little bit cheaper to guys like Chris Goblin or just all the way down into that Rondale Palmer, Dobbs, uh, Jacoby Myers 5K section. So again, don't be afraid to trust a guy who all he does when he's healthy is put up wide receiver one weeks. I don't know what more people could want from the sun god himself. You do have another wide receiver on here, Nick DK Metcalf, residing obviously with the Seahawks. And I think it's a, a great, honestly, just contrarian spot to target this entire Seahawks passing game. Gino DK and Tyra Lockett going up against the Cardinals secondary that ranks 31st in team PFF coverage grade. What specifically about Metcalf has you on him this week? Yeah, so I can't figure out why his uh, ownership is is so low. Uh, I, I mean, maybe it's it's very simply just the uh, the knee issue that's coming up, or that, that's that's the problem. And I actually I'm looking up. I'm double checking. He's fine. He's not listed. It's politics, man. It's, okay, so so Metcalf's uh, ownership projection is four point six percent. That is is totally atypical for a guy. Like DK Metcalf, as you have brought up, the Cardinals 
secondary as a whole has been just abysmal. Uh, they're seventh highest in catch rate allowed, seventh highest in NFL passer rating allowed, uh, ninth highest in receiving yards allowed per coverage snap, and sixth highest in explosive pass play rate allowed. The reason that I'm talking about their secondary as a whole, one, it's very injured, and two, they've basically been cycling their cornerbacks in different positions to try to get something to stick. It's never happened. Now, another reason why Metcalf's uh, ownership projection might be so low is that he's actually had a really difficult time producing against Arizona for whatever reason. He's never had over uh, 60 receiving yards or more. Um, Vance Joseph, I, you know, maybe he's just focusing on Metcalf, but I think at, at some point this dam has to break. And I like the <laughs> odds that it's this week. Uh, free safety Buda Baker. He failed to practice both Wednesday and Thursday. I believe it's an yeah, it's an ankle injury. He mm-hmm. did, I think, get in a limited participation on uh, today on Friday. But I think that this is one where Metcalf's downfield prowess is is going to uh, rear its, I guess, beautiful head. So I, I'm excited <laughs> to see what Metcalf can do here. I think I actually saw an update on Buddha. Yeah, he is officially listed as questionable. So in regards to Metcalf versus the Cardinals, we've seen Lockett just blow up against them, you know, obviously on the other side of the coin. I think the issue for several years was Russell Wilson still treating old man Patrick Peterson like he was young man Patrick Peterson. So you'd see Metcalf win those matchups. We've seen Metcalf toast Jalen Ramsey for, you know, the better portion of 60-minute games before. So I don't think there's anyone on the planet that can consistently check this guy. But hey, to Russ's defense, you know, he was ignoring Metcalf and Lockett's going for over 200 yards in some of those games. So they made it work. It just wasn't always like, you know, the, my thing was saying a wide receiver truly bust. And again, I know you got to be open to go earn your targets and all that, but you'd be very hard pressed to go find many examples of DK Metcalf having eight to 10 plus targets that we're expecting him to have here and not coming through with it in a big way. So Nick, you said before you had a few prop bets for us with these guys, anything related to these four players or you want to touch on someone else? Yeah. So, so we've got one more guy in this list, but I did, I did leave out DJ Moore. I like him with the over uh, 61 and a half receiving yards. And I like Drake like London over 38 and a half receiving yards, 38 and a half. That's a slap in the face. I like it. <laughs> I know. Um, so for this final guy here, uh, I think that Jeff Wilson Jr. can step in and and just operate as Miami's number one running back. I like him a lot as a leverage play in GPP formats. So Raheem Mostert, he's got a six thousand uh, dollar salary on DraftKings. He's extremely chalky, sixteen point nine percent roster ship rate expected. Jeff Wilson Jr. on the other hand is just at three uh, percent expected roster rate. And his salary comes in at a much more manageable 4900 In the article, I, I broke down uh, the three rushing concepts that Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel are employing at the same, uh, you know, one, two, three most frequent uh, rates. So th- that's all in here. But the, the point is, the rushing schemes are effectively the exact same. Jeff Wilson Jr. has worked under Mike McDaniel now in all five years of his career. Mike McDaniel just sent a fifth round pick for him. He wants him there. When you compare Wilson and Mostert on a a rushing and receiving level, uh, Wilson is a a slightly more effective rusher and Mostert is actually kind of a, I I don't want to say significantly better receiver, but he is a better pass catcher. Mostert has had, I I detailed his injury history uh, in the article. We all know it's prolific, but he's got a pair of high ankle sprains, two grade two MCL sprains, 
patellar tendon strain, broken arm, meniscal tear, and he had a bunch of cartilage uh, shoved back in there this offseason. So uh, Mostert, he, he like on screen to me, he kind of looks big, but he is under 200 pounds. I think he's about like 195. I think that what they might do here is 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 put Wilson in as the the primary rusher and switch Mostert to a change of pace rusher and and basically operates as the uh, operate as the primary uh, receiving back. I also like this from a, a trench perspective. Miami's offensive line earned a twenty eight percent PFF run blocking uh, matchup advantage rating over Chicago's defensive line. That's the third best matchup advantage rating on the week. Chicago's forty point five PFF run defensive grade, forty five missed tackles, and sixty six percent negatively graded run plays are all bottom five in their respective categories. So, I, you know, I, this one could be a, a snake bite, but this is such a unique situation in a player switching teams. Like this is his scheme. He's just, he's going to, he's going from his scheme to his own scheme. Um, so I, I like Jeff Wilson Jr. a lot uh, as a, a GPP play. And I can throw a few more props on here from the wide receiver cornerback target matchups if you'd like me to, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on on this play. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a bit of a week nine reach for Wilson, but I think all those potential red flags for Mostert really applied to this week and in the future because we knew Mostert had Chase Edmonds just on the bench, not at all a factor. And if they really didn't care about their RB2, they could have just brought up Miles Gaskin or Salvin Ahmed from the practice squad. So I know it's just a fifth round pick, but they went out and got Wilson and everything you said about the similarity in uh, schemes there, I, does, I do think would both well for Wilson having you know this actually quick featured role as opposed to a running back going to a brand new offense where they really got to sit down and learn everything so I would just be concerned that because he just got there this week this you know it's only going to be a 10 or 15 you know snap pitch count of sorts but especially for the future I mean Jeff Wilson I, again I, I think you know we get enough NFL coverage on all these trades going on I don't want to say it was too under the radar but the big thing for Wilson is that he suddenly he has a best case scenario for him now he's one injury two Raheem Mostert, as you brought up, not exactly, you know, the poster child for just uh, being able to avoid injuries throughout his entire career. Suddenly, Wilson is one injury away from having a featured three-down role that's going to be better than anything he had in San Francisco. Even when McCaffrey wasn't on the team, Elijah Mitchell was hurt and Tyrion Davis-Price was hurt. Guess what? We still had Debo Samuel and Kyle Juszczyk making things annoying for Jeff Wilson. Those guys aren't there in Miami and accordingly, one injury to Raheem Mostert away from not being a low-end RB2 like he was in San Francisco, honestly knocking on the door of that RB1 range just like Raheem Mostert is for us right now. So quick couple things from myself. Just uh, two props I found that I do think you can get some nice odds on. Jamal Williams plus 140 to score a touchdown still over at Caesars. I mean, he's minus 150 over at Bet MGM. So if you do have, you know, multiple books open, I do think if you can get those plus 140 or better odds on Jamal Williams to score, you're just doing yourself a favor relative to what a lot of people have available. The Chris Goblin uh, receptions and honestly receiving errors. We talked a little bit about, about him and Mike Evans earlier, but again, just so much target volume and right now seeing Goblin only at 64 and a half receiving yards I'm fine taking that over at DraftKings and if that reception total once it's up is even at four and a half five and a half I'd be fine with both of those I thought I could you know do a good job guessing some of these lines and then we found out last week Alvin Kamara was at four and a half so you never know four and a half you know bet the mortgage on Goblin's over five and a half still feeling awfully good there 
few tournament thoughts uh, from myself as well. I do think that Gino and Joe Burrow, again, if we're trying to replicate what's been a big winning strategy that has been Tua and his top two pass catchers, let's try to find offenses that do condense so much of their passing volume around two talented receivers. I do think Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, if they hadn't had such a stinker on Monday night, a lot more people would be invested in them against that aforementioned banged-up Panthers secondary, obviously coming off a bit of a high themselves. But, hey, that Falcons offense sure look capable of putting up plenty of points against them. Also, Gino with Metcalf and Lockett, which we've already talked plenty about. At running back, it's so chalky in the 6K range with Joe Mixon, with Kenneth Walker, or Ramondre Stevenson, with Travis Etienne. That's where everyone's going. But the one guy in that range that has that volume, that has ability, that I think is on the same planet at least, is Leonard Fournette. And nobody cares about Leonard Fournette this week. So again, it's because of the range he's going. And you can even pay a couple hundred more dollars and go up and get Josh Jacobs. Everybody is forgetting about Leonard Fournette. And guess what? The fact that he's still kept on keeping on, as well as he has even with this Buccaneers offense looking this bad he always has that five to eight reception upside and we know he can score two or three touchdowns during any given week so don't discount Leonard Fournette just like when we have guys like Dalvin Cook going completely under the radar don't completely discount that as well similar philosophy with with why we were on Derrick Henry last week which yeah I know it's Henry versus the Texans but guess what he really didn't have high projected ownership going into that game and it's just simple when you have guys like Henry like Dalvin Cook who yeah yeah, they're weekly ranked in our top five season-long rankings, and there's no doubt about it. Any week that you think the public might be off them just a little bit too much, don't be afraid to go back to old, boring Dalvin Cook instead of all these, you know, 6K running backs that are, you know, again, I understand why they have all that ownership in cash games. Absolutely scoop up the 6K running backs. But again, when you just look at the overall pricing of this slate, having the cheap chargers wide receivers, having all those running backs in the 6K range, I do think it's another week we're doing more of a rags and riches approach you know going really high up at wide receiver or running back and then going really far down that could be the easiest way to help differentiate your roster um and with that mindset some of the chief wide receivers i do think you can look at taekwon thornton just 3.3 k that's the single cheapest guy khalif raymond at 4k we'll see you know how much that uh, is going to change around with josh reynolds now being doubtful but really not seeing too many people on raymond as well and curtis samuel at 5.2 k again bounce back off Terry having some big weeks and no no JD McKissick out here final note Dawson Knox at 3.5k I think someone that hey if Sauce Gardner and these outside cornerbacks are as good as you know they think they are and honestly as good as they have been this year albeit against you know a pretty sorry quarterback strength of schedule it would make sense if Josh Allen still gets his but maybe has to work a little bit more over the middle of the field than usual and finally just with the early cash game shell of the week I do think you have two kind of key options to be able to go to at quarterback between Justin Fields or you can go all the way up to Josh Allen. I tend to go a little bit down to Justin Fields. That allows you to get your ETN, your Joe Mixon, your Ramondre Stevenson in those running back spots. And then wide receiver actually gives you the flexibility to go up and get a Devontae Adams, a Monroe St. Brown, whoever you want to get at that top and still having plenty of flexibility in that lower 5K range. I would prioritize Jacoby Myers ahead of somebody like uh, Josh Palmer, who we talked about some of those concerns. And then at tight end, 
man. Gerald Everett is the guy we do want to focus on in cash if you can't afford to get up to him at 4,800. If not, we have Evan Ingram at 3.3 and Kate Otten at 3.1. And I think that about settles it, everyone. One last question from a true D-Gen. Just, I, I know that based on this question alone. With Marquise Goodwin out, who is manning the Seahawks slot? Nick, I believe it's going to be Eskridge, right? As long as he's not been banged up. I mean, he's already kind of been rotating in anyway. Well, so the, the Seattle is still sending um, Tyler Lockett in there pretty frequently, but it like if uh, if you want to take a sec, I can just look this up. Yeah, Paul. Um, yeah, and just the overall uh, snaps at hand. Looking at it last week, I mean, look, it's Lockett and Metcalf leading the way for sure. But Goodwin and just the way the Seahawks do it with their willingness to use two tight ends a lot as well, you're not going to see the number three receiver even out there for maybe even half of the quarterbacks drop back. So I do think it'll be Dwayne Eskridge. He was the guy that was working next most behind Goodwin last week. But we also got Derek Young. We got Cade Johnson. Maybe Petty Hart's going to be able to play through this hamstring injury so i do think it's going to be eskridge maybe the guy finally steps up marquis goodwin scored two touchdowns two weeks ago pretty pretty thin though but it should be eskridge as the number three even if tyler lockett is still manning most of the slot yeah so last week uh it it yeah eskridge is the number two behind tyler lockett that's that, yeah. that's what it was last week in the slot that will work. Uh, Chris, yes, Josh Palmer is playing. Again, we talked about him. Top 30 wide receiver and redraft. Don't Just don't get overly carried away with really any of these Chargers wide receivers. Wide receiver and tight end, uh, Isaiah likely aside, he's pretty much an exception to this rule. Just don't be nearly as confident in these backups stepping into the same sort of roles that the starter had. So to uh, keep in mind there, God, just had a advertisement blast my headphones as I was trying to talk so threw me off my uh rhythm there for a second guys apologies but guess what Nick we're done anyway so it's all good in the hood here let the folks know what you got at pff.com and anywhere else around the industry my man here is a grinder and we are very happy to have at least a good chunk of his work over on pff.com thank you Ian yeah so we've got the uh wide receiver cornerbacks uh, matchups to target and avoid the DFS cheat sheet. That's the top five recommended plays on DraftKings. We got this podcast. You can find my rankings at Nerdball. You can find starts and sits and streaming DFS, DSTs at four for four. I do a live stream for the 33rd team on Sunday mornings, and then I will have a Monday morning five takeaways at the 33rd team as well. Biggest thing I can tell you guys, because you guys hear me every week, you know the pods, you know the articles by now, but the one thing we have at PFF that I still think not a lot of people know enough about is our handy-dandy start-sit tool on our handy-dandy PFF app. We make it very, very simple for you guys. If you have a decision, you put one player in the first player slot, you put the second player in the second player slot, and then guess what? You can actually see from myself, Kevin Cole and Nathan Yonke, who we would pick. So guess what? We're all picking Devontae Adams over Tyler Boyd. You, Of course, why wouldn't we? But you can also see exactly how close it is, who's on with who, what the projections say, all that and so much more. So love our PFF fantasy you know, group we got, the community we got going on Twitter. I've been putting in at least 30 minutes every single Sunday morning. I've been slacking a little bit on Thursdays. That's my bad, guys. But always getting you guys at least on Sunday mornings answering as many start sick questions as I can. But I 
I can't get to every single one. Neither can Nate, Nick, Kevin, whoever is out there. That's why we designed this app just for you guys to help with those very questions. Because guess what? When you ask me a start sit question, I go back to my rankings and they are a guide, not a given tool, but you're getting 90% of the way there. And that is why we all go through and update our rankings throughout the week regardless. So after this show, got to go work out. It's leg day. Nick, going to be a tough, uh, tough couple days here in the weekend moving around the house. But then I'm updating those rankings and they're going to be there for all of you on our lovely handy dandy PFF app. So appreciate you guys. For Nick, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>